Welcome to Stokes County Boys, a podcast in which two friends discuss the place and things that made them who they are and who they are not. Welcome again. It's me, Philip. And um, as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Patrick. How's it going, man? Oh, hanging in there. How are you doing, Philip? I'm doing okay. We're here. We're still here. So that's good. Just want to say I'm really excited about this episode. Today, in our main part, we're going to be discussing a movie that was. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but rewatching it and thinking back, this movie was much more influential on me than it may should have been, but we'll get into that. We're going to talk in Jurassic Park, the uh, 1993 blockbuster directed by Steven Spielberg. And so it's a big movie with big dinosaurs, and we needed some help today discussing this. We have our good friend from home, and he is still in Stokes County, so he's going to be able to give us news from the trenches here. It's Andrew Voss. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Happy to be here. Excited. Yes. Well, it's good to have you. I mean, one of the main reasons, we, we were going to, I think, eventually have you on the show, but it, we kind of fast-forwarded it because if you recall, if people listen back to our episode six, which we talked about the last dance, but in our first segment, I was going through a Danbury reporter from 1910. We accidentally um, found an article referencing your great-grandfather. We wanted to follow up on that because um, it was kind of interesting because we just saw, like, it, which you bear his same name. We wanted to have you on, I guess, like, for as soon as possible so we could follow up on that. So um, before we get into that, we, as always, we have a guest. and We need to ask you the guest question. Andrew, where's your hometown and what do you find unique or special about your hometown? All right. Well, King, North Carolina is hometown. Yay, King. Um, <laughs> Stokes County, born and raised, you know, we all grew up together. I was thinking earlier about something unique, something you guys have not touched on yet in all the podcasts that I have been able to listen to. The little town right across the bridge, Tobaccoville. <laughs> I, had, I had to bring it up because yeah. Tobaccoville is King at the same time. I mean, you don't have one without the other. King is, and Stokes County essentially are both um, big tobacco uh, history. Uh, and so having Tobaccoville right there, that namesake, uh, kind of fun to talk about. But you guys know what I'm going to mention next, that smell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, there is nothing greater. You know you are home when the plant, the wind is blowing just right and you get that tobacco smell flowing through the air. It's amazing. Um, that's one of those just little unique qualities of Stokes County that I've always loved. King area, um, the small town where everyone knows everyone, not so much anymore, but um, how we grew up. Um, that's what I've always loved about King, the little unique thing. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I hadn't thought about in a long time, especially in the fall. Yeah, you would get that's when it's the that. most prevalent. If you don't know, that's like tobacco priming. That's when the, the tobacco would be harvested in the fall. So it's being pulled from the, the stalk and all that stuff. And yeah, it's like this, it's this just awesome sweet smell that would just kind of waft through the town. You mix it with a little bit of a, a little bit of barbecue smell coming from Stratford and everything's just glorious. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> you want to come home right now, don't you? No, but I'm close. <laughs> 
Yeah, so you ju- you kind of mentioned it before, but I was just thinking, like, Patrick and I really haven't lived there since we graduated high school. So I was just wondering, how have you seen it kind of change since then, since we were in high school? It has definitely changed. Um, I do remember, like, when we were younger. I mean, Patrick lived in the neighborhood right next to me when we were growing up for a little while. I would ride my bike all the way from Crossroads at 66 and Mountain View all the way to the other side of town. I mean, we're not talking like crazy far, but we're talking like six, seven miles and go to my grandparents' house. I'd do that unsupervised. Would I allow my kids to do that now? Heck no. I don't even let my kid out of my little street without watching them. That king has grown a lot. Um, We did grow up in that little small town, that little community where literally everyone knew everyone. It's one of those things that as a kid, I kind of enjoyed. As an adult, it's annoying. (laughs) And it's not totally gone, but I I have realized more and more over the past couple of years that uh, King is not the same place. I can go to the Walmart and I don't see anyone that I know, which would never have happened when we were kids, especially with my dad being a teacher. Like we literally could go nowhere and not run into people that we knew, people we went to church with, all of those things. Um, We are more of a suburb of Winston-Salem. We've had a lot, an influx of new people, a lot of new building that has been going on. With that influx of people, there's been like, a little life brought back mm-hmm. in the town. Cause I, I, I don't know if you guys looking back on it, I feel like King when we were younger was like one of those could have been one of those dying towns. It very easily could have just died off. It's proximity to the highway and to Winston kind of helped to fuel the growth, but it could have died. We've got new people. We've got new ideas. I know you guys touched on uh, in one of your podcasts about the black lives matters walk over in Walnut Cove, King had its own walk, which was really interesting to see, um, especially from a social studies teacher's perspective. 15 years ago, I don't know that that would have happened in this town. I can pretty decisively say it would never have happened here um, and not been supported in the way that it was. Um, I didn't hear any derogatory things about it. I didn't hear or see people counter protesting which i could have very easily seen taking place in king with the dark history of king and so it's nice to kind of see the growth and we've got some like new business coming in we've got like the little boutiques and things downtown there's like five or six in the downtown the old downtown part got a coffee shop that's popped up it's making king seem new and fresh almost in a, and if that makes sense. Andrew, question for you, because, you know, you, you touched on the fact that you, you know, I know exactly where you're talking about that Mountain View Crossroad. Like we used to walk cause there was a little, uh, mini Mart. Yep. In, in today's lingo, I guess we called it the pantry. Yep. It's I, still I, there. I would walk up to that far more times, uh, you know, completely unsupervised, oh, yeah. sometimes oh, by yeah. myself, sometimes with friends. My and mom people. would hand me a 20 and say, go buy <laughs> some milk. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, like, you know, it, it, that you mentioned that like the town has grown so that that probably wouldn't happen as much today as it would have right. been. You've been there consistently. I know you went to App State for a little while. You, you know, you're, you're Stokes County born and bred and, and you are true and true 
a Stokes County boy. Yep. And while, you know, I'm wondering, as Philip and I, as he alluded to, we've been gone for a little while. You know, we're recently rediscovering our roots to an extent. Was there a moment that you saw a change where it started to become that little big city versus that hometown, let's huh. walk to the pantry, ride a bike to grandma's? Was there a moment or was it just sort of the, the slow evolution? It was a slow evolution, I would say. The the one thing that stands out in my mind would be like when they added the divide down the main road, you know, they took out the little where we could cross either way. And now we have that big fancy divider that looks like a well-planned out city. That would, I guess, maybe be the most defining, like maybe that's when that happened. But before that, I don't know. It was more slow, uh, especially with like people and their mindsets and like, is Stokes County. We we know we're we're on the outside there. I mean, it's not a progressive area. We know that. We we like to live the past in some ways, um, and that's good and bad at times. There's positives and negatives to both things. Um, I know I enjoyed parts of it as a child, but there are other things now, especially as an adult, that I look back on. I'm like, whoa, I hate that I was exposed to that kind of stuff. Going back to what we mentioned before with your great-grandfather, we just wanted to ask a follow-up on that since we, we accidentally found him there. I had some follow-ups, too, on some of the smallpox stories we were reading, but we'll start out with uh, your great-grandfather, Andrew Voss. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Because all we um, know is— Yeah, I, I dove and did some research. I pulled up some ancestry stuff. I kind of I kind of went nuts. I've done that. I've done the uh, whole ancestry thing several times. Um, I've been able to take it all the way back to the crossing and beyond a little bit. I talked specifically with my dad some to get some stories. Uh, my, my grandfather, Sherman Voss, Andrew's one of his youngest son, he was super young. And so my grandfather had my dad much later in life too. So he actually never met the man, uh, but he had always heard stories because Andrew it was a, there's some weird stuff that went on in the family tree there where we look at it. He had two wives. We're not really sure why, if there was a divorce or a, I think it was a death situation. Um, so he had some half siblings. My grandfather had half siblings. I think from what I've been able to find on Ancestry, my dad had always heard that there were 17 kids. Whoa. <laughs> um, but I actually, I've been able to locate 15 on ancestry so there were like five i believe half siblings and then the rest were full siblings of his but uh specifically with andrew they actually lived um the old home place uh was over by mount view church road right mm. near where you both yeah. lived and grew up together yeah yeah um and then uh their bear he and his uh first wife, I believe, are buried there. But my uh, my dad told me, uh, specifically, Andrew Scales Boss was his name, uh, the man I was named after. He had a, a wonderful tenor or baritone voice. And he would travel around. And what just one of the things he did, uh, he's not sure if he did it for money, but or if he just did it because he liked it. He traveled around and sang a whole bunch. But he also gave voice lessons. Mm. We have the 
original tuning fork that he used. It was made in 1867 and is hanging up in my dad's hallway uh, outside of his bedroom in, in one of those like little black window boxes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool that uh, we have that little family heirloom there. But he would go around and do that to, to bring joy to people, you know, and I, I'm sure that's what you came across in the, the news article. Um, he was just going around trying to uplift people that had uh, have been dealing with the smallpox stuff. Dad did tell me they farmed was the main source of income, which basically everybody in Stokes County did. Yeah. And my family's been in, like his parents and everybody had been around the Stokes County area since like the early 1700s time frame. We were like one of the first groups. And that was, I was looking, trying to, I don't know specifically if, how we got here, but I think I might know uh, in looking, I went to Wikipedia to figure out Germanton because there were some names that in the family tree that connected to Germanton, another town on the other side of uh, Stokes County. And Germanton is actually uh, part of the path for the great wagon road all the way from Pennsylvania down. And so I believe Wikipedia said that Germanton was established in 1790 as the, the first or oldest community in Stokes County. Um, and it goes on to say that uh, the town was named after an influx of Germanic immigrants, boss is a German name, who had served as veterans of the American Revolution. And I found a William Voss in the family tree that served in the 8th Connecticut Regiment in the American Revolution. Wow. So I have a feeling that that is that connection and how we probably got around here. Um, but it was just kind of cool to go back and, and look at all that stuff where you guys were, I knew you were going to have me on here and kind of diving through that. Cause I mean, I've got names in here that you guys would remember ants and stuff that were like the Spain hours. I've got a Spain hour uh, and the, the, the Spain hour brothers company at the grading company and rule hall and, and King uh, she was a part of that family. Uh, got a Helsebeck, um, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's all those fun family names from around here, road names in particular. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, it feels like you're just naming these these prominent roads that we know how to get around in oh, yeah. County. Oh, but yeah. those, those roads are all named after the people. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that your family's been here that long, especially since, um, you know, sometimes... Uh, and Patrick and I have mentioned it before because I think our parents were the first to actually live in King. And, you know, my parents grew up in Mount Airy. Patrick's were like Kernersville, that area. It's also interesting how Germington was like an earlier settlement and it's not big at all. It kind of stayed really small. But yeah, you know, I think a lot of that was it, the placement of the railroad and the highway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one thing we read, like the railroad going through King helped it develop more so than, than some of the other communities. Thanks for providing that context on your, your great-grandfather. It was just really cool to kind of run into that. And a lot of these, half of this paper, you, I don't know if you've looked at the, the, the paper that we we're actually looking at. If you, if you go to the link, which is in the show notes for the sixth episode, in the last dance, um, you'll see most of that paper is is things like that you're this person visited this person. It is so funny that the Stokes News up until about 10 years ago still had all of that stuff. There was that one lady from over in Pine Hall that reported on everything and 
so and so went to visit somebody at yeah. the at the yeah. funeral home or, or or at the nursing home or at the, wherever. I mean, she reported on all the little inner workings of that side of the county. But I think it really, I think it's just not in the papers anymore. It's on Facebook now. That's very true. <laughs> now, now, Philip, if I recall correctly, I believe that you found a little bit of an update on our smallpox uh, drama that we were discussing previously. Like, like, can you? Oh no! Did you update? find the response? We, if I'm, you know, I, I don't know what's going on, but I believe Philip's done a little bit of research here. Philip, can you give us any sort of update on what we were talking about with the smallpox uh, scenario we were having? Yeah, so remember our characters from that episode. We have D.P. Reed from that, that one episode in that January 19th, 1910. And he was saying, I'll tell you one thing, in Walnut Cove there is smallpox. And he was referring to something that was written by Old Timer, and he also mentioned Joe Allen, who was running around like an idiot, obviously sick with smallpox. Shots <laughs> fired. Shots fired. Walking around Walnut Cove. Now, I didn't find the response because the archive I'm looking at, they don't have that next week's issue. And then I went through the week after, and I didn't really see anything. But I went back a week, and I found the original note from Old Timer so we can see him and this is the this is the headline: No smallpox at Cove, and never has been. So asserts a correspondent. And so this is from January tenth. I notice in the reporter that some person had reported to the county commissioners of Stokes that smallpox was in Walnut Cove and spreading over the county from here, or made such a report as to leave that impression, causing the commissioners to employ a man as health officer at the high price of fifteen dollars per day to look after us. And so then he goes on to say that that's not the case. I think he's really angry about um, the price that they're paying this person to. <laughs> Either uh, that or he just does not want somebody watching over him. Yeah, so this is interesting. I mean, this is where we get into some of that, that stuff we talk about. He, he goes on to say, well, there is. he mentions there's this black man that was walking around and um, – he had smallpox, but they took him to Winston-Salem to what they call a pest house, which I looked in. It's basically like where you would, like a convalescence house where they would quarantine people that had smallpox or tuberculosis or something like that. So then he does mention our good buddy, Joe Allen. It has only been in two families in the northern part of the town. In one family, only one person had it with only a few raised bumps on her arms and four or five on the side of her head. He really knows how many pockmarks she had. And none on her feet or hands resembling smallpox and amounted comparatively to nothing. And Mr. Allen, so this is assumed Joe Allen, who was reported bad off, was at the same time out in his yard cutting wood and also helped to kill his hogs during the time I make this statement. So he, he seemed to be doing okay, according to old-timer. But then we have D.B. D. Allen saying, Hey, I got smallpox from, from Joe Allen. And so I just want to give a little update there on the gossip from uh, Walnut Cove in 1910. So there we go. Well, so clearly we're going to be looking into this. But, like, I, I hate myself so much because I want to know more. Like, I really want to know <laughs> what, you know, did, was there a solution? Did old boy actually have smallpox? Was this a, a, a just a, a slander issue? Give me more. If anybody out there knows anything about Joe Allen, 
if anybody knows about like the 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 town of Walnut Cove in the early 1900s that that may or may not have had smallpox as part of this epidemic like i want to know what the solution is i mean like we've we've got the names we got the characters we have the tension we have everything that's made for a made for tv movie so like we've got all that we need i want to know more yeah dp reed i may have said his name wrong earlier but it's dp reed who who did claim to have gotten smallpox from joe allen old timer it doesn't help that he's using a pseudonym there but yeah, well, if you know and, anything. And he's probably not around anymore, let's be honest. If he's going by old-timer in the early 1900s, we probably can't count yeah. on him. But we may count on young-timer that, that is like his great-great-grandson. I don't know. Like, just please, I want to know the resolve. I want to know the results of this Stokes County mystery with the smallpox of the early 1900s. Uh, was there smallpox in Wanna Cove? Well, we may never know. But if you know anything, please email us at stokescountyboys at gmail.com. Please send us a message and let us know. Because Patrick, he's having a hard time not knowing the answer to these things. And It's a global pan- pandemic, Philip. It's a global pandemic. We're all overanalyzing. We're all overthinking. I need to know about the smallpox in Walnut Cove, whether it existed or not. I need to know about Old Timer. I want to, Mr. Allen, descendants. Just please reach out, help us out here. Let's let's get to the bottom of this. Yeah, and speaking of over analysis, right after this break, we're gonna get into Jurassic Park. Oh, one last thing before we get back to the show. Please go to our Anchor website at anchor.fm slash scboys slash support, and you can support the show for as little as 99 cents per month. What do you get in return? Well, the show keeps going. And the other thing, any supporter will get a shout-out on the show, so you'll be entered into the record of the Stokes County Boys. And also, if you'd like, we'll reach out to you, and you can choose the topic of a future episode. Thanks in advance for your support. Now, back to the show. And we're back. Andrew's with us, too, still. And uh, we're going to talk about the 1993 uh, blockbuster smash hit based on the Michael Crichton novel of the same name, Jurassic Park. So I want to start with Andrew. Andrew, can you tell me your... uh, your first memory or recollection or experience with this, this movie. All right. Well, Jurassic Park, I just, it is one of those nostalgic movies for me. All kids love dinosaurs, especially us boys. We love dinosaurs. You can't get enough of them. We were young enough when that, when this movie came out, the dinosaurs were still freaking cool to us. And to see them come alive for the short period of time. Now, I remember this movie very well. I've watched it multiple times, even as an adult. I didn't realize how little time there actually were dinosaurs on the screen. Um, and actually, when I was looking up some information, um, Spielberg actually shot it in the same style or format that he did with Jaws. For that purpose was this, to build the suspense and that kind of thing, which... 
I can appreciate a lot as an adult because it, it, as a kid, I was just drawn to this movie, that iconic scene of uh, at the end where the T-Rex, which all of us yeah. love, he comes busting up in there, beating the velociraptors away and the sign <laughs> falling, the humongous scream. I loved it. I mean, I ate this movie up as a kid. I owned it as a VHS. I, I love that it's everywhere to stream. I've been trying to get my kids into this. I've got a, a three-year-old, by the way, I'm supposed to do a shout out to Ella and Caleb. Um, so oh, it, that was a request. Um, so we're trying to, uh, trying to get the kids in on the old nostalgic movies. And like, this is just one of those, you have to show them. I mean, it's, it is an icon of a movie. It's like the fourth all-time best grossing movie or something like that. Uh, I, I mean, it's an amazing film. And to think when I looked at I was amazed. They start, this thing was put together, shot, put together and released in less than a year. Are you serious? I'm, I'm serious. If you, if you go <laughs> and look at it, it blew my mind that it, it was uh, filming took place in California and Hawaii between August and November of 92 post-production rolled until May of 93, uh, who, which was supervised by Spielberg in Poland. Cause he was shooting Schindler's list at the right. time. And then it rolls out, uh, premiered June 9th, of 93. That's pretty impressive, especially considering the, the technological advancement of the, the CGI in that movie, which I, I would say still looks good. I, I think it holds up extremely well. There, there's some like really cool stuff. Like I know when the, the actress, the, his granddaughter, um, mm-hmm. John Hammond's granddaughter that falls down and the Velociraptors are jumping up at her and stuff. They actually one of one of the bloopers when you look that kind of stuff up. The stunt double that fell down looked up when they were filming, and to yeah. not mess that up because they liked the look of it, they did CGI of the actress's face over top of it. To think in '93 that they were able to pull that kind of really good stuff off, not to mention all these amazing dinosaurs. Even as little as they were on screen, they they still were spectacular to view. Well, see, Andrew, you hit on a couple things I want to address here. So, f- first off, like especially our generation, and I'm assuming because I don't know any other. <laughs> let's be honest, you know, I I don't know if I had a conversation with my mom or if I had a conversation with like your children, if it'd be the same answer. But when we were kids, we all love dinosaurs like dino we we had our favorite dinosaur we had our our toys we had our books we had like yes i completely get get it i think it's important too you know before i i go off on my mini tangent here like i think it's important (laughs) to note that like when we talk about movies it's important to determine you know to be able to separate your own personal connections when the time comes uh, meaning that, like, you know, I love Jurassic Park. Boom. I love Jurassic, period. I, I, I love, two thumbs up, whatever. Like, I love it. Now, I have to, as an adult, I have to look back, and when we're, like, legitimately discussing this, do I love it because of nostalgia? Because of my, my time loving dinosaurs as a child? Because at the time I saw it in the theater, it was a great movie. Um, it, or Or, you know, 
is it because like as an adult now that's more objective was it just a good movie in terms of storytelling and all that and you know my answer to all of that for Jurassic Park specifically is yes it was a good story it was a great movie yes nostalgia does play into it and rightfully so but it was a phenomenal movie um I I, I do think you know it's interesting Philip, you and I saw Jurassic Park in the theater together. That was my first time seeing it. It was not your first time. No. And I can tell you about my first time if you like, because it's pretty distinct. Because my first time, we saw it opening weekend. I really didn't know that much about the movie, honestly. I don't know how, because I usually would have some knowledge of some of the bigger movies. But my dad was like, we had been out in Winston or something during the day. And he was like, let's go see Jurassic Park. So when we got there, it was so full. It was like sold out. We couldn't, Me and my brother couldn't sit with my parents. So it was like the first time I'd seen a movie just sitting next to my brother and my parents weren't nearby. They were somewhere else. And we were like in the front row. Well, that made and, that movie so much better, I'm sure. Oh, my God. It did. And I had no idea what was coming. And it blew my mind. It also scared the hell out of me. I distinctly remember, you know, the that scene where they're in the car, it's raining, and they go, where's the goat? And that goat leg drops on the window. That scared me so bad. And it was... That the animatronic dinosaur, when they had the T-Rex come down and it smashed the top window oh, yeah. in, uh-huh. that is the actor's genuine fear because it was <sighs> not supposed to make the window cave in on them. It was just supposed to get next to the glass it actually gave way and fell on them and they yeah, were you see freaking it, out. It breaks the glass at one point. But yeah, like that, and it just blew my mind. And you were saying about loving dinosaurs. I had gone through that, I think, when I was in like second, third grade. And I went away from that and I was just like, oh, dinosaurs are kind of dumb. I'm kind of too old for that. But this got me right back in. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Patrick, what were you saying about when we saw it? Well, I want to kind of look at the the cinema side of this when i saw the exorcist for the first time and you know forgive me i don't know the year that the exorcist was released but at the time that was the horror movie oh my god philip i actually think you and i saw the exorcist together i think we rented it on vhs like just in high school i believe but like 73 73 excellent thank you andrew um (laughs) Obviously, like we were all born in the early 80s, so we did not see The Exorcist in the theater. We all saw Jurassic Park in the theater, you know, like watching. I, I rewatched this recently for the purpose of, you know, the podcast, but also because it's Jurassic Park and it's one of those movies on your normal rotation that you want to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll watch it again. Um, I was thinking of The Exorcist this last time I talked or uh, watched it because. When I saw The Exorcist for the first time, I thought, this is silly, it's fake, it's, you know, this is like, are you kidding me? But then I realized, like, upon reflection, that, like, if I was seeing this for the first time as a moviegoer in the theater, this technology had never been used. I have never seen this before. It would have blown my mind compared to what it did when I actually saw it. And I'm not sure whether to blame or to thank, but it's one of the two. I either blame or thank the technological advances of cinematography for doing that. You know, and I bring this up 
because, you know, I translate that to Jurassic Park. And the reason being, I watch old girl's head spinning around. <laughs> oh my God, this is silly. I'm not, I mean, you know, let's be honest, this is silly. If I watched Jurassic Park right now for the first time and I see that, that scene when the car's driving up on the dinosaurs for the first time and Dr. Grant grabs Laura, and I'm sorry, I don't know Laura Dern's name in the movie. Ellie Statler. Okay, yes, thank you. <laughs> he grabs her head and he turns her head and like they see the, di- and like for the audience, holy crap, there's a dinosaur. And you know it's not real, but it's still like, there's a dinosaur. Like the, that moment you grab. Now, in today's technological age, I still watch that and get chills. And I, I, I think half of it is nostalgia, but half of it is also, you know, at the time, what they did with the animatronics, with the digital everything. Andrew, you mentioned when um, Lexi or her stunt double looked up at the camera and they digitally imposed her face. Like this stuff had never been done. And it was just so phenomenal at the time that you look back and I have, I have a trouble finding the balance between nostalgia, oh, I love this, versus this was really revolutionary for 1993 comparatively. And I also want to throw something else out uh, with this um, before we really dive into the movie itself. I watched Star Trek. I watched Star Wars. I watched these science fiction, Jurassic Park science fiction. I watched this stuff and I think like, yeah, oh, it's fun. It's okay. You know, I, and I even, you know, I, I, I do love those series. I, you know, and, and it's no knock against it. What made Jurassic Park hit me really close to the heart was that it felt like it could actually happen. Oh, I would, like, I would totally agree with you. Cause I was going to mention that myself. Uh, science. I got into science after watching that film. It's like made it real for me for the first time. I was like watching them it's that whole explanation at the beginning of here's the piece of amber that this mosquito went into and they go in and extract the DNA. And uh, this was the time, like, I remember either it was right around that time or shortly after when they were talking about Dolly over and like doing Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, you know? And it was like, Holy crap. Could this really happen? Andrew, it's so awesome that you just mentioned Dolly because Dolly the Sheep was a huge controversy. It was 1996, and this is three years after the movie because, you know, when when that whole ordeal happened, you know, we were first getting, and when I say we, I mean really the three of us because, you know, elementary school, you're learning your ABCs, you're learning your colors, you're learning how to get along and share, let's be honest. You know, this is when we're starting to form opinions on stuff and actually develop those opinions. And Dolly the Sheep in, in 1996, you know, and I'm paraphrasing this, but Jeff Goldblum, and again, I don't know his character, Dr. Saw, you know, because it's Jeff Goldblum. Like, yeah, like, yeah. He's amazing. Malcolm. He's, uh, he's Malcolm. Malcolm. Dr. Ma- like, like, I'm paraphrasing, but he, he said, because everybody uh, that was a part of the park, you know, John is like, hey, 
look at this. He, I mean, basically it's like, I'm flexing on y'all. Like, like, look what I, I just did. And then the people that he brought in to pat him on the back and be like, yeah, or like, uh, hold up, time out. You know, Jeff Goldblum's like, hey, wait, you didn't think, like, you're so focused on if you could, then asking yourself if you should. And, you know, that was kind of the underlying tone of the entire movie. But it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, Dolly the Sheep in 1996, this is the exact same question, mm-hmm. you know. And it's, it's real life. Yes, it's real life. And, and it directly ties into the, you know, Jurassic Park realism where, yes, it's far-fetched, but at the same time, they presented it and, and something else, you know, I was a big Michael Crichton fan, especially yeah. at the time. Andromeda Strain was the first novel by him I read and I really, truly enjoyed it. I loved it. Jurassic Park, um, the novel, I don't, I didn't like it as much, but I, wa- I also read it after I watched the movie. And so, Same. you know, you can, you, you can argue about like, you know, does that, I mean, that's a different podcast altogether does 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 reading a book after the movie influence your opinion probably so but but you know regardless my point is that like you know going back to the movie of Jurassic Park it was you know Michael Crichton knew his science and it was presented in the way that it felt like this not only could actually happen but in the moment sitting in the theater this is real I mean, you yeah. could imagine this is actually what's going on and this is feasible. It's plausible. And then, as we said, fast forward three years later, Dolly the Sheep. Oh, it's actually like this is the same type of thing. I mean, it was just so much larger than life as we knew it at the time. I'm just going to say we we're talking about like overall things. I was trying to do the same thing you were doing, just watching it and try to analyze it as is it more than just like a movie I liked as a kid? Cause you can watch stuff and you watch it as an adult that you loved as a kid. And you're like, I think we talked about it at one point we we're talking about Thundercats or something like, and you're like it, Thundercats. it, it may not really hold up. It may not actually be good. You just like it as a kid, but watching this movie, I think this is a perfect movie because one, it's the pacing of it and the, the structure of it is almost it's it's amazing how tight it is in terms of like I was even tracking I was like okay so you get all the exposition 20 minutes almost exactly it's it's almost exactly a 2 hour movie which is I don't, I really don't think many movies should be over 2 hours cuz after that it gets a little bloated almost 20 minutes in is when we see that moment that you're talking about Patrick where they see the full dinosaur and that's your first full look of a of a dinosaur there is that little intro where you get a glimpse of a velociraptor but at 20 minutes that's exactly when that happens the T-Rex comes out almost exactly an hour into the movie and that's when the movie changes from like mostly just like a sci-fi kind of oh my god look what we've done kind of movie into like almost a horror movie and then you have the last bit, the last 20, 30 minutes, it's Velociraptor time until the end. And, and then it just wraps up real tight, nice and tight, and then we're done. So the structure of it's great. It looks awesome, still looks good, not just like the computer graphics, but everything else. The, there's like multiple themes, so you can read it in different ways. So as I was saying before we started recording, 
you can look at this as a uh, critique of late stage capitalism, which I like to do, but we may <laughs> we may not want to get into it because I think it'll annoy Patrick. And it's just entertaining on top of having these themes of like man versus nature, ethics versus progress and science and making money off of science and pro- and all this stuff. So it's great. Philip, you talk about like the capitalism and stuff. I, I, I want to point out a specific moment in the movie. And, it, you know, it's interesting to me, especially looking back to those 90s movies. And, you know, you watch Wayne's World and they make yeah. a joke out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. they're especially, I believe, 90s movies, you see so many product placements. There's a major moment in Jurassic Park where they're showing the Jurassic Park gift shop, like in the movie. And, you know, they're, they're panning through, you see the, the toys, you see the lunch boxes and all that stuff and all the stuff they're planning to sell. And then, you know, it's juxtaposed by the scene that follows it with John and Laura Dern's character sitting there eating ice cream, basically yeah. just, it's, it's your last, just take a deep breath because it's getting ready to hit the fan. We're getting ready to hit the, the, the climax and, and all the big action stuff. You know, you, you look back and you see um, Barbasol was the, the, the uh, shaving cream mm-hmm. that I'm sorry. Again, I suck at names of Nedry. No, his name is Dennis Nedry. It's N-E-D-R-Y, which is a terrible name. Yeah. So, yeah, Newman from Seinfeld. Newman from Seinfeld. Because let, look, Newman. let's we be all, honest. We're doing that. Everybody's watching. It's Newman. Newman from Seinfeld. But, but you know, is there's clear product placement uh, for the embryos. It's Barbasol. You know, the thing about this, though, is that... Oh, don't like, you... Hey, Patrick, you can't forget the Ford Explorer, which exploded in sales. Oh, very true. Yes. They, yes. Didn't they use that in commercials for Ford Explorer after that? Well, but that's the thing is like, you know, just, you know, that's part of the movie and you know that that's what they're trying to do. And let, let me be a hundred percent honest. I still have a Jurassic Park shirt and it's not vintage. I bought it like two years ago. I still wear it, you know, because, you know, it is what it is. The marketing of this movie was phenomenal. They, they did a very good job marketing it to not only their target audience, but I think, you know, and, you know, this is, this is actually a point I wanted to make, you know, at some point during this discussion, because, you know, as I mentioned, it's hard to, to look at a movie as a standalone when there's other things in play. And what I mean by that is, you know, we talk about nostalgia versus straight up, is it a good movie? When I watch this now, knowing that there were sequels and a reboot, it's hard to watch and keep it isolated for me because I am going to compare, but I'm also going to be thinking about how it relates from one to another. I think that standalone, this movie, period, start to finish, is fine. It, it, it's good. It stands alone. The, uh, the fellow that's basically the head of the embryo, uh, the science in the actual thing, spoiler alert, you know, he turns out to be a shady kind of bad guy in the reboot, which I thought was very clever, honestly. I thought that was a cool little thing. It, you know, I loved this one. I, I, I hated The Lost World. 
honestly, I just, you know, I, I, I know we're not discussing the, yeah. the satellites, but yeah, I did good. not like that. Uh, Jurassic there was Park, no Samuel L. Jackson in it. Well, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson makes every movie watchable. Exactly. Hold on watchable to your butts. And minimal. But, but no, de- dealing with the, the satellite or, or sequels, whatever, reboot, whatever. Uh, Jurassic Park 3 was good, but it wasn't the original. I like that they kind of threw back and they had some, you know, you're trying to close off with a positive. Get that. Fine. Thank you for that. When they rebooted it, I loved Jurassic World. I thought it was just as clever as the first one. I thought it was, you know, I, I, I really thought it was well-written, well-directed, and the, uh, the, the technology I thought they used as best they could as they did in the original Jurassic Park, 1993. They used that technology the best they could. I appreciated that. Now, Fallen Kingdom was trash. There's crappy movies, and then there's Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> It's like they they knew it was bad. The 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 subtitles right there, they they ruined the franchise. Fallen Kingdom. Let's stick to the let's stick to the main movie because I think we got a lot to discuss there. You know, my my overarching point here is that like you know it's it's hard to completely isolate a movie when there's other movies that are directly attached to it, and 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 so you know I do have to say that part of my opinions personally come. I mean that does come into play. Like it. it I, I am thinking about Jurassic World. I am thinking in, in these scenes, you know, it is very hard for me to completely isolate it n- knowing that there's other things that are supposed to tie in for better or for worse. Yeah, I, I can see that. But for me, for this movie, I don't know why, but with other franchises, I, I feel similarly. But this one, maybe because I've seen it so many times in the other movies... I haven't. This one for me just kind of stands alone. I can enjoy it as as Jurassic Park. I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? I, I'm right there with you, Philip. I uh, I have seen all of them. I don't think I've watched any of them multiple times. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Jurassic Park, though, I it is one of those that I constantly come back to. If it's on TV, I stop. And yeah. I mean, it just happens. I'm gonna watch it because it's so cool. I love it. So, this Andrew, movie. what what are some of the like iconic scenes for you? I mean, we've mentioned some of them already, but is there any that that um, we haven't the, mentioned so far? The one that blew my mind as a kid when Doctor Grant, when they get out of those jeeps and go running up to that Triceratops that's laying down, and he lays on <laughs> top of that thing. And it takes that breath and lifts him up. That smile on his face transferred from the screen directly onto my face. I'm not going to lie. It was amazing. Was the Triceratops your favorite uh, dinosaur? No. What was, no. What was, what was it, your favorite? I don't, think, I don't think it had to be. I mean, most people um, <laughs> I, most people love the, the T-Rex, you know. Well, I think I was, I don't remember the name of it, but it was the one that had the spike ball on the end of its tail. You know what I'm talking about? It had like a football helmet up front, but it it had the spike tail on the back. It it reminded me of like a club from back in the Mm -hmm. medieval ages. (laughs) A little of my history stuff coming back in there too. But yeah, like that was kind of my favorite dinosaur, but like nothing had to be my favorite dinosaur for a moment like that. Because as a kid, when we were, 
thinking about these things, imagining what they would be like to see somebody as real to life as it could be laying on top of one and he just breathing and lifting him off of the ground the way that it did. I mean, there's nothing better. Yeah, you're right. Steven Spielberg has this amazing ability and you'll see it in his other like classic movies of kind of this like childlike wonder, which sometimes he uses kids. But in this case, it's this scientist who's like, this is the thing he does is he digs up dinosaur bones, but he has this moment where he actually gets to like touch a real dinosaur. I don't know if we want to try to fit this in somewhere later, but Richard Attenborough, the actor who played Dr. Hammond, Mm -hmm. I don't know if y'all know much about him, but he was actually recruited by Spielberg to come back to acting for this gig specifically he had been for like 15 years previously been a director himself he's actually the director of gandhi and beat out spielberg with gandhi against et wow did not know that so there's like there's just so many cool little things in this and that dude is like really cool he like flew for the raf in in world war ii wow and stuff i mean he's like an incredible dude you know, he's he's a great character, too, because if I recall correctly, in the book, the um, Hammond character is more of this kind of nefarious businessman. But what I love about in this movie is he's just almost, despite him being the oldest main character, he's really naive and childlike in the fact that he has all this money, doesn't know what to do with it, and he's just like, look what I did. Yeah, this is the most amazing thing you could ever see. Look at it. And then we can just, we have our fences, we have our computer systems and all this, and we have that control. And you had mentioned it earlier, Patrick, and that's, I didn't really catch it before, but that scene where they're eating ice cream, him and Laura Dern are eating ice cream, and he's talking about the flea circus, and then she goes after him and is like, no, this is an illusion too. This is the flea circus. He's like, you're, and he's like, no, no, it's not. If we can control everything, she's like, and that's the point of the movie. You can't control this stuff. Did you catch, you know, mentioning that, because one of the things is, is, is and it's Ian Malcolm um, mentions it over and over about chaos and life finding a way, and then you see the eggs out there, so you know they're reproducing. I, I think I, I may have heard this, but then I caught it again. When, you know, when they're in, the, um, they're in the helicopter going to Jurassic Park, and it's like bumpy and going down, and Ian Malcolm coolly and, you know, coolly, like, buckles his safety belt and sits back. And then uh, Dr. Grant's messing around. He's got two female ends of a seatbelt. And, and he's trying to, it's not, but he finds a way. He ties those together. And just little things like that, Whoa. it ties into the theme of the, the whole movie. And you're just like, that's why it's, that's why it's a perfect movie, Patrick. So, 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 so Philip. With what you I can't believe said, you caught that. But that's the thing. It's like, from what you just said, I want to just say bullcrap. It was coincidence. But then at the same time, look, like, look, Andrew, no. like, you and I, like, no. Philip and I have discussed it a little bit. I, I'm on a Hamilton kick right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm looking at detail after detail after detail. And, and quite honestly, I think that Hamilton is the greatest new art. I agree. That, that, 100%. That put out in in the last however many years i like i'm, I'm obsessed with uh-huh. the details it's spectacular i hit a stalemate as a music teacher as an artist myself i hit a stalemate 
as I do from time to time, as I think everybody does from time to time, where you just, your status quo, you're going through the motions, whatever. You know, I, I, I watched Hamilton, Disney Plus, for the first time. I, I went through, I saw Lynn's performance, so to speak, at the White House, like well before Hamilton existed. Um, and, you know, I, I'm watching his progress from then to when the actual musical produced and all that. And, you know, the detail, the, the attention to detail that was paid to that musical blew my mind for modern times, you know, and, and having said that, you know, taking it back to Jurassic Park, you know, Philip, with what you said about the female to female, mm-hmm. like, I, I want to say bull crap because you're just reading too much into it. But at the same time, based on what I'm seeing from these people that are producing these amazing pieces of art, it seems like it's so well crafted that, you yeah. know what? They, they may well have meant that. Yeah. Oh, and I get it. The, the, the thing about this movie and when I was talking about the structure of it and, and usually I don't, Sometimes with movies, it's just like, I like the movie because I like it. And sometimes you know there's like, it's bad in some parts or may not be a good movie. You just like it and there's stuff you forgive for it. Like this one, when I was watching it, I was like, this might be a perfect movie. And there was stuff like that that I was catching watching it this time that I was like, all this that whole first hour before that, uh, T-Rex breaks out of the fence all of that sets it's all set up to that moment and it's just so well done and it's just so perfect like all these little pieces fall into place and, and I'm even paying attention which I'd never done to that like really early scene where the lawyers go into that, that guy wherever they are they, they're speaking Spanish so they're in some Spanish speaking country and they have that shot of the amber and you're really listening to why they're gathering that team and I never really thought of it before it's because the investors you know it's the money making scheme the investors are unsure about it because it's not safe and they just need some experts there to look at it say this is awesome and then they can go with their their multi-million dollar like dinosaur disney world and so paying attention to things like that it's all coming together and it's all like piecing together and they're hoping for this like sycophantic like yes this is wonderful but all three of those are just like mm, i don't know about that and even like the the lady that studies the plants is like they are eating stuff that they shouldn't be eating <laughs> you know even down to that it's like you don't know what you're going to do like introducing these species or having these dinosaur eat these like current these modern species you know it goes that far uh andrew you got any other iconic scenes that that you that kind of struck out to you I would I would say one of the other ones that just as the thriller part of it, Tim getting stuck on the fence. It drove me nuts as a kid. Like I was on the edge of my seat freaking out. That thing alarm off to the side. I, as a kid, I was dying. Get him off of there. He stopped hitting. Then he goes flying back off. It was crazy. Spielberg does this awesome job of creating these like moments of tension and like, um, but following it up with like levity and, and like the joke there that he says three when he wakes up after like, oh God, is this kid dead? You know, but 
even even in the the opening T-Rex where the T-Rex is attacking the car the kids are in, you know, it's this scene of abject horror and the, the just this awful thing. They're like, what's going to happen to these kids? And then they cut to uh, uh, Grant watching and then they cut to Ian Malcolm whose window's fogged up and he has to wipe it off. And it's like, it, you just get that little, that brief moment of levity so you're not like completely freaking out. So it's not like pure horror film. Honestly, I, I think that's Spielberg and I think yeah. that's good direction because, you know, again, as as we age and we all, again, we all have aged together. We're all the same age. When we look at beyond what's just being thrown at us in terms of story and visual, and we start to look for these nuances, especially upon rewatch, then, you know, you start to realize that was not an accident. That was by design especially in a movie because Philip, you even mentioned a minute ago about uh you know this being kind of a horror movie or slipping into that genre well Mm -hmm. but it's pg-13 and it's kids and it's dinosaurs and you look at the market that it's going to they played the game really well and that's that's completely on the shoulders of the director that plays the game and they know how to play the game across the board for not only entertainment purposes, but for those who want to analyze a little bit more than they should, for those who just want to be entertained, for those who, you know, it's genius at work. What was I going to say? Oh, you were talking about it earlier. I wanted to just to note that, you know, you're talking about, you know, I was saying the critique of like kind of unchecked greed or capitalism or whatever, and you said how they market it. But there's always this tension that it's there in a lot of movies. And I think a lot of movies of this era of the directors are making a critique of like their own industry, like the movie industry or the greed that they see and the corporate greed, which is these, you know, the bad guys in a lot of these times are these big bosses, the bad guy in this, you know, ultimately it, it all falls apart due to Dennis Nedry trying to sell the science to another company and that's where the things like get unhinged and but at the same time the movie and outside of the movie with the merchandising and all that stuff they're doing the thing that they're critiquing in the movie you know so they're selling all the toys they're selling all the t-shirts that logo's iconic they're selling more ford explorers than they ever had before but yeah it's kind of a weird thing you'll see it in like you know, like Gremlins 2 or something that's... Have you guys seen that movie recently? Rewatch it. It is awesome. And I watched, rewatched it recently. It is really good. Like, it's really funny. And basically, the, ba- the, the main bad guy is Trump. But anyways, but yeah, yeah. It's funny how you'll see this, like, tension of them critiquing the thing that they're actually doing. <laughs> Philip, I cannot watch Gremlins or any other sequels. If you want uh, to dig deeper into that, we can in a different episode. But uh, it all goes back to being a first grader and being forced in my class to watch Gremlins. You watched that in first grade? They showed it to us in first grade. No way. They did. And we did not get to finish the movie because my mom wrote a letter because I was afraid to go to the bathroom. 
Yeah. Because the gremlins that would come out of the toilet. Like, Who was like, your first grade teacher, man? I'm well, it's Stokes County, and so I'm not about to open that door. Because <laughs> oh, come on! I was thinking of bringing up with the with the music side of things. One of the first things I remember learning on the trumpet uh, with Mr. Krabs was the Jurassic Park theme song. Oh yeah, I, you know I was thinking of that too, Andrew. Is that I think we were all playing trumpet at one point, but that's one of the first things we were trying to play. The music, we haven't even talked about it. The music in this movie is incredible. Yes, it is. John Williams is the greatest of all time. I I just love it. That's one of the first, you know, you were saying you had the movie on VHS. I had the movie on VHS. I also had that soundtrack on cassette tape. I listened to it all the time. So I have let me let me jump in with uh, when it comes to John Williams. And I, I have to say, too, you know, like, I listen to movie music a little bit differently than the average person. The reason I say that, not because I'm better than everybody, you know, I, I, like I say that because, you know, I was a music major. And so I was trained in the classical style to completely overanalyze because that's what we do in music. One of the best classes I took in college was a music in film class. And so, you know, like absolutely loved the class. It it tuned us in as students to really listen to the nuances in a film score, to really dive into the details. John Williams, from that class I learned, is very divisive. And what I mean by that is people either love or hate them, hate them in, in the musical world when it comes to movie music. And the reason being is because he seems to always follow a formula. But the thing is, it's a damn good formula. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, it's, it's the whole argument. If it ain't broke, don't fix it and all this. I get but, what you're saying because Ella even asked me. I was making her watch Indiana Jones, and she was like, Daddy, this music sounds a lot like Star Wars. I was like, oh, wow. there's a reason. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we can argue on, you know, we can argue whether that's good or bad or whatever. But the fact of the matter is that if you can isolate the music of his movies, they're all damn good. And you you listen to Jurassic Park. It's iconic. It's phenomenal. You know, it, I also, as a musician myself, can say that I appreciate it more having listened not only to the whole body of his work, but Catch Me If You Can, jazz soundtrack. It showed me, oh, he's not one-dimensional. Yes, he may be following a good formula for these movies, but he's actually a legit musician that has a lot that he can do. And so that gave him a little bit more leeway in my mind of, you know, my judgmental mentality of his work. Um, the, the music itself is so good, but specifically for Jurassic Park, something that I noticed, and I mean, again, we're getting very nuanced here, um, his use of silence. Mm, yeah. You know, if you really want to get people engaged and have them on the edge of their seat, you don't make the music louder you make it non-existent like he did and then boom there's velociraptor t-rex you name it there's where the tension lies and i thought that he did in this movie 
more than any other movie, and there were a few moments in Jaws. Uh, I could say a few moments in Indiana Jones. I don't think so in Star Wars, but there were moments of silence, like where he actually went silent to promote what's getting ready to happen next. And then I thought that was genius. And when you combine that with the cinematography and the direction of Spielberg, where these little nuances come into play, it was a perfect storm all blending together to create a really awesome moment in an amazing movie. And he did it multiple times, which is what is mind-blowing to me. I agree. I mean, the most striking version of that is that first T-Rex attack. There's no music in that part. And all you hear is like the sound of the rain on the the car or, you know, the, the roars or whatever, but, and the screaming, but, <laughs> but the music. Even their breathing, you can, I mean, it, it's, it is very powerful in the silence, what they are able to create with, with the just sheer terror that you feel as an audience member. It just goes to show the attention to detail mm-hmm. in this movie across the board, not just from the director, but it was just, you know, top notch, really, really well done. And, you know, somebody's going to hear me say that and, and hear us talk about this and they're going to say, well, but, but, but what about the, the plot hole or whatever, where the, you know, in the T-Rex den with the, you know, where, there was supposed to be solid ground and all of a sudden it's a cliff. And that's why the, the cars fell over it. Like, right. like just, you know what? Yeah. I remember yeah. catching that, uh, you know, or yeah. Or they'll say, well, T-Rexes, they could probably see you if you weren't moving or blah, blah, blah. But it, to me, that doesn't matter because like there's, that's not the point. And when I know at some point you just got to sit back and say, I'm going to watch a movie and enjoy the movie. And I'm going to overanalyze. I'm going to overthink. But, like, you know what? I can let that go. If it was Anakin Skywalker's acting, if it was Hayden <laughs> Christensen's acting, no, can't let that go. But in this case, yeah, you know, we'll let, we'll let that little little flip go. You know, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's not Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> it's still sore. It's still sore spot. <laughs> but... I feel like we could go on and on about this, but I think we I think we did a pretty good job, you know, covering what we loved about the movie, how we first got into it. I think it still holds up. Yeah, and I, I think anybody with a, a kid, I mean, if you could show a movie like this to a kid with all the technology that they have today at their fingertips, and they can still enjoy it too, just in the same way that we did when we were kids you know it's a perfect movie and, and i agree with you fully it it is to me i can't think of a better movie from start to finish i think something else that's interesting about this movie was the attention that they gave to the velociraptor mm-hmm. because as a child of you know our era oh love dinosaurs I did not know about the Velociraptor. I knew T-Rex yeah. is the, the king of the dinosaurs. I knew Allosaurus was also a predator. It was also a carnivore. Uh, Velociraptors had no idea. And then they became such a central part of the movies. And even, the franchise, yeah. Oh, as a, yeah. I, I felt like they really 
um, or this movie and franchise opened the doors for new types of dinosaurs, new dinosaur species that like we had not really fully been aware of until this movie series put them in the forefront. I mean, it was so popular. They named a NBA expansion team, the Raptors, which is a good documentary. There's a documentary on Vince Carter and his impact on that Toronto team and making it like relevant in Toronto. But that's, that's another story, but, but we're going to have to wrap it up. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us and talking, uh, family and and also talking uh, Jurassic Park which you know it seems like they're disparate things but we're growing up in King <laughs> that that mo- that movie that music those raptors and and all that stuff was was in our heads as well as uh Spain Hour Road and all that stuff but um as always let us know what you think you can email us at stokescountyboys at gmail.com uh also follow us on Twitter at scboyspod instagram at stokes county boys also we have a spotify playlist for any music that we cover or you hear um in the intros if you want to give us direct support we'll take it you can uh give us a theme for a future episode and you can uh find that at anchor.fm slash sc boys slash support it would be much appreciated well andrew uh once again it was a it was a pleasure patrick uh we'll have to see you on the other side man Yes, Andrew, thank you for uh, being a part of this. We will definitely have you on for uh, more discussion of whatever randomness pops in our head. Uh, I love it. But yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, swinging by tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Andrew, million dollar question. And we ask this of everybody that we talk to and, 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 you know, it's not just fluff. Like we legitimately want to know if you could only pick one restaurant in Stokes County to eat at, what one restaurant would you go to? And what one meal would you have? What is the one? Oh God. Okay. So I remember the first episode when you, uh, you asked this to Neil Caldwell. Right now, I, I mean, honestly, it's not an, a super old staple that you guys know of, but for me, it has to be my guys at Little Italy. Uh, Little Italy has been in King for quite a long time now. Um, not, it's not one of the oldie goldies, you know, like a, a tiny diny or something like that. Um, those guys, number one, their food is amazing. The service is great, but they, I, I'll give them a huge shout out. They are one of the best in the community for helping out the schools. I, I am not kidding. If we go in and ask them to help us at Chestnut Grove, they're pulling out a checkbook or cash or something. I, I'm not kidding. It, it, and it could be month after month after month. They're amazing people. They have a sirloin special on Friday nights, typically. That is, there's, it is such a good steak. It really is such a good steak. I love that thing. I mean, it just melts apart. And I like, there's no fluff on this thing. I, I don't know what they do to season it, but I think it's just salt and pepper, man. 
but it just just like butter in your mouth. I love it, and I'm a good steak guy. I, I know Patrick is a, a a meat aficionado now as well. Dude, next time you're in town, be here on a Friday night. We, we will go to Little Italy, and we'll get us the sirloin special. That thing is it, it's killer. You know, part of the problem with having these interviews, and and especially you know you tonight, Andrew. I want what you just said. Like, I want that sirloin special right now so bad. You know, I, you now, know, I, know I could have gone into a bunch. I could have talked about Stratford. I could have talked about King Kitchen, all the great places. You know, I, I do have to say, too, like, um, I, I miss the food, not just of Soaps County, but of the surrounding area. Um, you know, there, there's that Western-style barbecue you don't oh, yeah. even have to go to Lexington. You can get it at Stratford Barbecue. You can go to, to Walnut Cove. You can go to Madison Mid and you can go like like I miss that because we don't have that in Durham. In yeah. Durham Durham we do have some great mom and pop places, but like I really do miss that mom and pop. Uh, everywhere's mom and pop around here. Yeah. I and really it's good. Oh, and it, yeah, everywhere's good too. I mean, that's like why it's such a loaded question. Yep. You're yeah, welcome. next next time I'm in town, like, all right, totally uh, sirloin special at Little Italy.